0: You are listening to the Conquering Everest podcast. This is episode 32. Welcome to the Conquering Never's Podcast. My name is Brian Talore, and let me just say thank you. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you found us. Please make sure you take time to just go through the different episodes. I've had a lot of great guests with a lot of great insights shared. I guarantee there is something for you on this podcast. If you are a return listener, let me just say thank you so much for making your way back. I hope you followed this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it. And if you haven't already, please give it a share out on your social media. And if you have an opportunity to leave a review, like such as a, a, on iTunes, please leave a review. Let people know what you think. Uh, it's only going to help this podcast grow and continue to provide the service that we do. Now, in today's episode, I have Kelly Invier. Kelly grew up in a turbulent environment where she was subjected to abuse and trauma. Her parents were inflicted with addiction and mental health issues. Kelly found healing in her writing, and she wrote a book in hopes to show that there is beauty in what most view as brokenness and great strength in vulnerability. This is Kelly's story. All right, Kelly Envier, welcome to the Conquering Everest podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm glad you reached out and, and your story is, is definitely intrigues me. And I like, uh, I like that you're into poetry. Um, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead, if you don't mind, let's take a few minutes and just um, introduce yourself to our watchers.
1: Sure. Um, So my name is Kelly Envier. I am a poet and author and artist. Um, I am married to my high school sweetheart. And we've been married for coming up on seven years. And I am someone from the Washington DC metro area. I um, went to school at the Corcoran Art School and I have just found a lot of catharsis through writing and creating.
0: Very cool, yeah. I, I enjoy writing, and in various times of my life, I have been uh, a poet, a songwriter, a storyteller. It just depends on <laughs> the the season, I guess, and where I'm at. Uh, different things strike me at different times. So let's uh, be- we get into. Um, your art and your poetry, but let's take a step back and maybe uh, share, uh, if you don't mind, share with us what you know. What brought you to where you're at today?
1: Oh, that's a long story. Um, but um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. I find that's a good narrative place to start things, especially as a storyteller. Um, I think when I started noticing that I was having struggles with mental health was when I was (laughs) about seven years old. I started having very severe panic attacks, not that that was really what was seen by anyone in the medical community or by my family, um, because my anxiety presents very physically. Mm. So I would get very sick and um, sort of in the same way that someone who's taking a test might get a nervous stomach, I would get extraordinarily nauseated. And so growing up in a family that was struggling in a lot of ways, my mother had her own mental health struggles that she was not necessarily dealing with. And my father didn't really know how to handle that. I faced a lot and saw a lot that I shouldn't have had to see by then. And so it started to manifest in me getting physically ill. And at the time my mother was convinced that I was bulimic at the age of seven. Um, Things got a little bit better after that. And then in high school, after I had my first massive heartbreak I realized that i wasn't doing so well and then shortly after that i got very very sick like bedridden sick and after years of diagnostics you know more blood tests than i can count terrible Mm -hmm. diagnosis being thrown out in the air they diagnosed me with fibromyalgia because from the outside my family looked like that beautiful, white picket fence, happy family. (laughs) And so naturally, no one's going to jump to anxiety, no one's going to jump to, there's depression there, no one's going to jump to what's going on mentally when there are so many physical symptoms. So I, through diagnosis of elimination, was just labeled. Mm. And so I started having a lot of depression around the fact that I was going to be ill for the rest of my life. This was not something that was curable. This is not something that was going away anytime soon. And I started a little bit of therapy then when I was about 16. And I was there for about a year until the therapist started to hone in on, there's more to this story. And <laughs> the therapist started to pick up on there's maybe some stuff in here about your family that you're not ready to look at, or maybe we can start looking at it slowly. And I kind of cut and run at that point because I was terrified. Yeah. You know, you don't ever want to see your family as something that's broken and something that is hurting you. And so I kind of suppressed that and, and things got worse from there with my family and my mother and father's dynamic became extremely toxic. And there was a lot of abuse from my mother to me and to my father, emotional, physical, mental. Um, and they ended up having a very messy split when I was 20 and newly engaged um and i got kicked out of my house by my mother who wanted me to take her side and everything and i couldn't do that anymore
0: Mm.
1: and so i ended up moving in with my in-laws for seven months while my fiance at the time my now wife and i were making you know the money to start renting an apartment of our own and then a lot of drama went down between my mother and i over the years there were times where we were not in contact um and she was somebody who was definitely facing her own demons Mm -hmm. um but not in a way that was productive so my father and I were incredibly close, but about three months after I got married, um, right before Thanksgiving, my father had an arrhythmia, which, for those who don't know, is the heartbeat's rhythm changes very suddenly and it can cause a cardiac arrest. And that is what happened for him. And so, after a week of him being in a comatose state, I had to make the call at 23 to, you know, say that he needs to be taken off life support. Mm -hmm. And so I lost him in 2014 and very much lost myself that day. And I started having absolutely severe panic attacks, you know, to the point where I was going to the emergency room to get rehydrated, to stop cyclical vomiting, to, You know try to calm my stomach down to try and calm me down to get my heart rate to a normal level and so that was a very scary time and there were parts of that where they would need to even keep me overnight or for a couple of nights to monitor and just make sure that my heart wasn't going too fast Hmm. and i was genuinely terrified that this was going to take me too right and then A couple of years ago, my mother and I had kind of her final act of physical abuse towards me. And so we were not in contact for a year and a half. And then this March, I got that call that you never ever want to get, which is that the exact same thing had happened to my mother. Mm -hmm. And so literally a week later of her being in a comatose state, I had to make the same call. And I had to say goodbye
0: to her, too. Right, and there wasn't. So it sounds like you—you know—you didn't have a really strong relationship with your mom. But I imagine it—it uh, it still hurts um, pretty, pretty, pretty bad, nonetheless. When when your your parent passes on.
1: Yeah, the thing that is really. I guess the thing that I'm holding on to is there is the person who's your parent and who loves you and who you had all those wonderful memories with. And then there is the mental illness and you don't have to have a relationship with mental illness and you don't have to have a relationship. You know, you don't have to like it. You don't have to love it. You don't have to have any connection to it other than to wish it wasn't there. Um, but, you know, I did desperately loved my mother and I was, you know, heartbroken that she could not get help on, mm. you know, this side, you know, I, she couldn't her. get free from her trauma.
0: And it sounds like, um, I get the feeling and, and I may be wrong, so definitely call me out if I am, but, um. I, I feel like, was your mom not very supportive of your relationship and ultimately your marriage? It sounds like, I, I get the feeling that she was against against that, uh, being same sex.
1: Um, it, So you're not wrong about her being against it. The mm-hmm. reason, however, had nothing to do with me being gay, um, which is... I guess really unusual. All of the things that I have faced are pretty common in the LGBTQIA community, mm-hmm. but I didn't face them for those reasons. In fact, my parents, their entire friend group was a bunch of people who were in that community.
0: Hmm. There
1: were very few of their friends who were straight or uh, cisgendered or you know, not in that queer community. Yeah. And so I grew up with that being the norm. And in fact, when I was an adult, my mother said, you know, that she had always hoped that I would be, you know, gay because she didn't particularly trust or like cisgendered men. Okay. Um, but what she didn't like was the fact that I had a happy, stable, loving relationship that was going to directly take me away from being her puppet. Oh. Okay. And so there was some codependency issues. And so it wouldn't have mattered if my wife had been my husband or if it had been just a relationship where I wasn't getting married. It was just the fact that I was happy. I was in a healthy situation and she didn't have that. She was jealous of that. She wanted to live vicariously through me, and mm-hmm. that wasn't the path she wanted us to take.
0: And you said, um, at what age did you leave her home? Uh, I was twenty. Twenty. Okay. So, so you were thirteen years. So seven. You said seven years old is when it. it you started to get physically ill. So thirteen years in, in, it sounds like a, a fairly toxic environment. I, as you, where you're at now and today, and you're able to reflect back, what sort of, have you identified what sort of limiting beliefs you had growing up, uh, just beyond the, Hey, you're, you know, you're phys- you've got this disease or whatever, um, what how were you as a teenager? I mean, were you confident were you insecure?
1: um you know, I would say I was outwardly the most confident, outgoing, gregarious, vivacious person that you would ever meet mm. and inwardly, I felt like I was dying inside mm, yeah. So I was always wearing this mask and protecting not only myself, but my family from anyone finding out that there was dysfunction. Right. Because that's the role that you're given when you grow up in that situation. And I was an only child, which makes everything worse. Um, My mother was struggling with borderline personality disorder, which if you're not familiar it's called that because it borders all of the personality disorders. Mm. So, coming home from school, it was sort of who are who am I going to meet? Is it going to be my dad? Would say the lady or the tiger. Yeah. And so, it was one of those things where you grow up really fast, and so I was extremely mature by high school.
0: Was Was your father in 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 the um, in in the house? all those years as well or did they end up splitting Um, up or anything
1: um so they were actually together until i was 20. in fact um that's one of those really hard stories um when they actually finally split up there my mother was attacking my father and Mm. i had to call the police and fill out a report and my now wife then fiance was with me and we were locked in my bedroom waiting for the police to show up i mean it was you know toxic is a very good word for it um Mm -hmm. but i think that from that i have been able to you know in my adulthood you know find help and therapy and Mm -hmm medication and meditation and yeah. you now all sorts of things that have you know helped me to cope but it's definitely one of those things where it changes you.
0: Yeah. When did your um did your dad I mean your dad realize um I don't know when, when your your mom and dad met and they, they began their courtship and ultimately got married. Um uh, was she diagnosed with any sort of mental health um, issues then, or was it later on that they, they started to develop?
1: So when they first met, um, I don't think that she was diagnosed with anything. She certainly experienced anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure she also experienced depression, Yeah. but when they met, they were both active alcoholics. Um, they both got into recovery before having me, um, uh, but that definitely colors whether or not you're going to be able to see that mental health issue and it wasn't until after i was born that my mother remembered the extent of her abuse Mm. and so she rather than doing all of the steps that you need to go through to deal and cope with that did some of them and then when it got hard, she stopped. And yeah. <clears throat> unfortunately, that meant that through the years, things got worse. So yeah. what would start as her having these explosive temper tantrums when I was little became more day in, day out, the personality that we saw.
0: Hmm. Your dad. I mean, it takes a strong person to um you know be in that sort of environment and be willing to stay in that environment uh to see it through and I, that's kind of what as i hear about your father he seems like he was he must have been very strong in uh in in the fact that you know he here this situation he didn't know who who he was going to wake up to right you said you didn't know who you're coming home to right and so do in in and beyond addiction, did your father have any mental health? Like did anything did he have trauma from your mother's abuse?
1: Yes. Um yeah. he definitely did. And it was something that we talked a lot about. Um my father and I were extremely close and able to kind of talk through everything before he passed, which is a rare gift I have had yeah. in this life. Um I've lost a lot of people, and that's the only relationship I can say. Honestly, I don't think there was anything we didn't say to each other. And so we had a lot of closure in that way, which is something to be grateful for. But my father struggled with anxiety. Um, I think the main reason that he stayed was just the fact that, you know, legally, the courts are going to side with the mother and my mom was incredibly charismatic and when she wanted to turn that on she was really good at it and Hmm. that's why everything looked so normal from the outside and he knew that if he left he'd be leaving me and he couldn't do that
0: Mm -hmm. so with your your poetry and your writing did that begin for you in during those um those years that you were at home is that
1: yeah i i think that i started writing poetry specifically um as a coping mechanism when i was going through that first heartbreak when i was 16 Mm. which was sort of a you know I guess a veil through which I saw everything. I just thought it was because of that, you know, you lose, you know, you lose first love and naturally you're going to feel horrible and depressed, but through that all of the other things I was feeling under the surface that I've been feeling for years started to just bleed through. Mm. And so I started to write as a way to try to make sense of that. Right.
0: The, I'm, I'm curious to, because we definitely know, you know, obviously there's trauma in the house, uh, household that, and that, that you are stuck right in the middle of, but as you, um, as, as, when you met your wife, even today, I mean, there's still a lot of, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think hate is too harsh of a word. There's just a lot of people that don't get it, don't understand it, and they're afraid of it, so it must be bad. How has, you know, just kind of thinking about your relationship, how has that, how has that impacted your life? I mean, have you had to deal with a lot, or have you found, uh, because it sounds like you were surrounded with understanding, loving people growing up, so has that trend continued, or have you guys, you and your wife, um, you know experience the the dark side of human nature.
1: it's a little bit of both yeah. I think that it is impossible to be different in some way, shape, or form from the box of what we categorize as normal right um so if you fall outside of that whether that's in your gender representation in your sexual identity in your romantic identity in the color of your skin the way you pray or don't then i think that you're going to face something at some point point. Mm. and so yes there have been things that we have you know gone through where we've had homophobia thrown at us but At the same time, we grew up in a very liberal bubble um, Mm. being in the D.C. area, and so I would be remiss to say that, you know, we had a really hard time. We've been extremely fortunate. Um, Not only was my family supportive of me being gay, her family supportive of her being gay, and not just immediate family, but also extended family, and so I was very much welcomed into her family and you know vice versa to the extent that my mother was able to in her you know clarity right and my father absolutely adored her so where family is concerned and friends are concerned we have surrounded ourselves with a support network that really believes in our relationship and Wants to help us to, you know, flourish in the ways that friends can and family can, yeah. and so we've been very lucky.
0: When you when you think about, um, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth between your uh, years as a as a as a as a child and teenager and, and then as an adult, but kind of thinking back when when did you realize and maybe this was very early for you maybe it was late but when did you realize that um you it wasn't your fault like because i feel like a lot of us as kids when our parents suffer we suffer and it we can't help but to take some of that residual feeling that you know we're the problem if we weren't here things would be better did you did you struggle with that uh like a guilt growing up and if you did like when did you finally make peace
1: so i definitely did and mm. it did not help that i was hearing it verbatim from my mother yeah if my parents thought it was this is your fault
0: oh jeez, yeah
1: and i got a lot of you're in trouble so i'm gonna send you away to boarding school you're in trouble so i'm going to give you up for adoption Wow. And so everything was very unstable for me Mm -hmm. for as long as I can remember. And I can remember even as early as maybe three or four, maybe even younger, thinking if I just ran out into traffic and I wasn't here anymore. Man. Then things would be fine for them.
0: Yeah, and that's really young to be having. I mean, essentially, that's a suicidal ideation. Yeah, you know, you're you're thinking that at three and four, and you're. I can't imagine you even knew what suicide was at that age. Um, yeah, that's it's trying to wrap. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in in a in a pretty toxic environment as well. Certain, you know, there was certainly some emotional abuse, but. Um, I don't think it's anything compared to what you, you had to go through. You want, I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around because what that would be like to have your, your parent, your mom tell you that, you know, it's, it's your fault. And, you know, if you aren't here, things would be better. When did, so they, they, they misdiagnosed you at the age of seven. And, and when did they finally say, okay, um, this is there's just more to this What? Well, how old were you
1: um it was when i was 20. Um,
0: okay so you yeah. had a long period of time where you just you probably well so, you 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 felt like you were going crazy like pretty much yeah i mean
1: i was told when i was seven that you know i just needed to get over it hmm. you know there was nothing wrong with me there was nothing they could find everything was fine you're fine your life is perfect which is a curse word in our household Um, because nothing is perfect Mm -hmm. and no one is perfect, but I was expected to be, and I was expected to present that. So I heard it a lot. And then by 16, it had all compounded. And that's when I got that misdiagnosis of fibromyalgia um, because they just, they couldn't figure it out. And so Then it was another four years and I had started self-harming. Not cutting in a traditional sense, but using a safety pen to prick the inside of my wrist.
0: Mm.
1: And so I didn't even recognize it as self-harm at the time. That is how clouded my judgment had become because I wasn't making an incision. I wasn't cutting the way I'd seen my friends cut.
0: Was it more of a coping mechanism for you? Like you just f- felt like this was a way that you could distract?
1: If I could make the physical pain something I could control, mm-hmm. then the physical pain in my body and that I couldn't control, and the physical pain of you know depression and anxiety, and just feeling like your world is crumbling beneath you. Mm-hmm everything that wasn't in control that was pain that i could control and i certainly don't recommend it but i when i realized that that was happening and i was feeling suicidal again that was when i got back into therapy and i've been in therapy more or less ever since and that was when they diagnosed me with anxiety and depression and they said this is classic ptsd yeah and you're okay you know it's okay that you're not okay right now yeah and i've had some really great therapists i've had some meh therapists but i've learned something from all of them and i definitely recommend it to anyone who's struggling in any way
0: you said something there that that's so so very important and and being a survivor of depression and uh very serious suicidal ideations to the point where you know i came very close to attempting it um you said they told you you're not alone you're gonna get through this it's okay Did you, did you believe them when they said that? Was that a sense of relief? How did you, how did you feel?
1: Completely alone and completely ununderstood. You know, it's one of those things where it's, those are pretty words. Yeah. And, you know, I wish that I could believe you, but I've not seen anyone going through what I'm going through in my life. And I think that's a real part of why I felt that I needed to write a memoir was the fact that I didn't feel seen. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel understood. And I was told by all of these forums and all of these therapists that there are so many people out there like you. And I'm thinking, well, where are they? Where are they to give me that advice that I need? Where are they to say, I hear you, I see you. And I didn't. You know, have that I didn't find that. And so I kind of wanted to become that I wanted to share what I have been through so that people know that these ugly things in life. They can break us down, but we're strong enough to build back up from those pieces. and. There's an art form that I talk about a lot when I'm talking about mental health issues and my past um, Japanese art of Kintsukoi, which is the mending of broken ceramic with gold.
0: Oh yeah, okay.
1: And they think the pieces are more beautiful for having been through something damaging and having been through something that totally shattered them. Yeah. And I think, human beings are the same way life is going to knock us down life is going to kick us while we're down and when we pick ourselves back up and we piece ourselves back together with the love in our life the joys in our life that's that gold kind of melding us back together into something new and more beautiful right
0: yeah i've i've heard of that i i didn't know the technical name for it but um it, you know it, it there was so for me i mean depression was very real throughout childhood and my teenage years and even my early adult years um i don't know if i knew it as depression back then or if i because i i mean there was plenty of times where like you i mean i wasn't three years old thinking hey if i just go do this but there i can as i've gone back in my timeline i there's plenty of times where i i can remember saying it, you know just wishing i wasn't here and and i grew up believing in god and i would often wrestle with him and be like why are you doing this to me what I, I mean i don't know if it's some people like to talk about it some don't but um from a spiritual standpoint um whether you believe in god or or anything else what would i mean did you find yourself having those same arguments with you know the universe like what is like why you know why is this happening
1: oh absolutely i have a very i guess unorthodox uh spiritual belief system my parents didn't raise me anything in particular And Mm -hmm. they kind of raised me everything in general. Okay. It's one of the things that I think they did most right in raising me. Um, So they presented me with Christianity and they presented me with Judaism and they presented me with Islam and they presented me with Buddhism and they presented me with Native American philosophies and Mm. Taoist philosophies and, you know, European pagan philosophies you know, like Druidism and they kind of let me form my own relationship with a higher power or not as I Mm. saw fit. And I 100% hated God. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: Because my personal belief vacillates greatly as to whether there's this higher entity or whether it's just that energy that's in all of us, and right. there's a line um, in the Jewels song: um, "We are that to which we pray." Mm. And so, when we pray for you know the world to be a happier place and a better place, I don't believe that there's going to be some grand you know holy you know host that's going to come down and fix everything for us. That's up right. to us to do for each other and for ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: So when we're praying for things to get better, we're actually praying to the people around us and the stranger down the street and someone who lives in Europe and someone who lives in Australia, you know we're praying that we all make better choices and that we all live better lives to bring a collective of love and compassion and sympathy into the world.
0: So taking that, taking that into consideration. So when you say, you know, if you, if we, we, um, what was that line again from the jewel song? It was so beautiful.
1: Oh, we are that to which we pray.
0: So thinking about that, we we are to that to which we pray. And if you had a point in your life where you hated God, who did, do you think that was just a reflection of your, your feelings towards your mother, towards yourself or, Truly, towards a higher being, like how do you how do you (laughs) philosophize? Make that what's the philosophy behind that thought? Because it almost feels like you the the hate isn't necessarily directed to a higher being that you may or may not know to be real, but it's directed somewhere. It's going somewhere.
1: So I think that that hatred, it starts with, you know, I do, like I said, vacillate back and forth. And it's usually in these times of great struggle that I see that, you know, creator of the heavens and the earth, you know, who could make this stop, who could help, who could intervene and didn't. But I think that that can extend to all of the other adults in my life when I was growing up Mm. who could have made this stop, who Mm. could have seen what was going on and chose not to. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say that there was hatred towards them, but there certainly was anger and wondering why I wasn't worth changing for. Right. Why I wasn't worth reaching out
0: it's you know and it's so i mean like the words what you're sharing and the words you're sharing are i mean it's it's they're tragic but yet they're so beautiful in thinking like when you just think of and this comes much later after you begin to understand that you're not going crazy right that you you um you were holding on to beliefs and systems because you were surrounded by it once you kind of break through and you at least for me when and it came very i mean just recently in life to where i finally started seeing the suffering as a blessing like like i couldn't be here i wouldn't be here talking to you right now had i grown up with you know perfect family and you know had everything I wanted I just wouldn't be here and and we wouldn't be having this conversation so there's like so much beauty in the tragedy of of life um and that kind of gets into now I feel like I'm getting poetic and you're the poet so (laughs) let's let's talk a little bit let's first let's talk a little bit about the book that you wrote you said you said it's kind of a memoir yes um so I had wanted to write
1: a memoir For a while, and by the time I was in my early 20s, I was starting to try to map it out you know, writing some short stories and trying to comprehend, you know, how to put into words the difficulties of growing up in a hard situation Mm -hmm. and make it relatable and make it something that people will be able to maybe find themselves on the page a little bit and see that it's okay to be in that place of pain. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody who has been there who gets it and they've built themselves back up. And I, wasn't really finding my flow for how this was coming out. I knew a linear narrative wasn't going to work for me. So I tried a couple different formats, but when my father passed away, I turned back to writing, to journaling and writing poetry. And that was a huge part of what I think saved my life. Yeah. And while I was writing these poems that what I was going through and what it was bringing up from my past, I realized I was writing that memoir. It was just a memoir in the shape of poetry and mm. poems. And I thought, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Yeah. And I think that poetry is a very authentic and honest voice to write from. I think that we Lose the structure of grammar and rules, and it becomes more akin to painting abstract, you know, artwork, which is another one of my passions and hobbies and um, Art forms that I turn to for Tharsis, but I think this is painting with words and I actually have a few poems in there about that I have a poem in there about that complicated relationship with God that Mm. I, uh, mentioned, and, you know, it came from a therapeutic dialogue that I was journaling, Mm. where I was voicing both myself and this higher power. And, you know, I can only describe it as some sort of almost channeling because it wasn't my voice saying, I'm here and I'm here for you. And I'm gonna be here for you and your father is going to be here for you but yeah. that original thing was written while i was shaking having a panic attack panic attack sobbing in a hospital bed <clears> and <throat> thinking this is going to take me this is not something i can overcome this is too big it's too much and through that came this beautiful dialogue where i eventually realized that's a poem that needs to be written. Yeah. And kind of reconcile
0: that. It's amazing, um, you know, when we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable, even if it's just to ourselves with journaling or poetry or songwriting, whatever whatever the case may be. Like so I've done a little bit of all of it. So I don't really know what I am as far as being a, a writer because it it could be a song, it could be a poem, it could, you whatever. Um, but there's so much uh, therapy in just getting the words out, even if they're not, you know, you're not expressing it to a counselor or a psychologist or whatever the case may be, or it, there's just a certain therapy to it. And I always love reading things that come from that that place that place in life where it's just dark and i can relate everything you're saying and the way you're feeling i can completely relate with you um and i know so many others that are going to listen to this they're going to be able to relate to that yeah i'm going crazy i can't i can't survive this and and then finally when you let yourself just when you let it be and you you accept it it's here um, but you—you you got a choice. You can either let it control you, or you can begin to control it. And um, on your website, uh, so it's KellyEnvier yeah. mm-hmm. You've got some poetry on there. I did watch some of those. Uh, so is that something you go out and you do a lot of live um, shows or?
1: I used to in the before times. Yeah. Um, you know, I look forward to. Um, being fully vaccinated and able to get out there again, um, you know, I, because of the level of anxiety that I have, I am somewhat immunocompromised. So it's been a scary year and change. Um, and, you know, I've had my first vaccination and, you know, have the second one scheduled and it's going to be really interesting to see what the world looks like on the other side of this, right? you know, just like the damaging experiences that I went through growing up, we've collectively as humanity been going through this great trauma and, you know, we've had our own individual struggles within it, but there's this global trauma that we've been through that we're going to have to figure out how to piece ourselves back together and find a new normal. Mm -hmm. and you know a new what our day-to-day looks like and so i think that's going to be a very healing thing for us if we allow it to be Mm.
0: yeah i can't and i just notice the time and it's every time i have one of these conversations with somebody it seems like time flies by so quick um i want to make sure we have time though to I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to want to connect with you, whether it's just through a website or your book or social media. So let's just share a little bit. So you got the website, you've got a blog, you've got your poetry. What, how, what are other ways that folks could connect with you? Um, if they, if they, um, if this conversation's really resonating with them.
1: Absolutely. I'm on Instagram. my, handle is at kelly and Vier and i'm on facebook um you can you know look me up uh my facebook page is facebook.com you know backslash kelly and Vier poetry um and then my website is a great way to reach out to me i have a newsletter that goes out once a month that kind of gives an update on things that i'm going to be doing and events that i might be going to some inside you know insight to how my brain works yeah. um and <clears throat> as you mentioned my website is also my blog so I do a lot of writing there and you can find all of my social media handles on my website and also my book um where the light shines through a memoir in poetry um you can find it on my website. It's on amazon.com.
0: It's on barnesandnoble.com. Um, so. Very cool. And then I will make sure we have all the links available in the descriptions and all that good stuff so people don't have to try to write this all down really quick. So we'll make sure it's shared out there. But as we, as we get ready to close here, I always like to end with this question. And, and maybe it's, yeah, I guess it's a question. Because um, I have no, I mean, there's so much power in stories and lear- in you know, hearing about what others have gone through. And I, I can't, you know, I don't know how many conversations I've had with folks now and with every single one, every single time I connect. It, it could be, Uh, connect to a small piece of their life it could be I connect to a large piece of their life but there's always a connection that's made so I have no doubt in my mind that somebody's going to watch this or they're going to listen to the podcast version and they're going through that moment now where they feel like they're a lost cause they feel alone they feel trapped they don't know they don't know which way which direction to turn so I want to give you the floor. That person is here and I kind of am here in front of you, but all of us that feel that way have gone through these things. We're, we're watching you now. So not to put you on the spot, but what would be your, your parting words of wisdom?
1: It is okay not to be okay. It is okay to be in pain. You are worthy of caring for yourself. You are worthy of making sure the people around you value you and share with you how much you mean to them. And you deserve to have support from the outside and from the inside. And that means making peace with understanding that you're gonna be uncomfortable sometimes. That comes from, you said earlier you like the uh strength and vulnerability and i mm-hmm. i do too i think that there is no greater strength and vulnerability to be able to have that introspective look at yourself and say i need help yeah. and those are some very strong powerful words and So if you're in a place where you need help, whether that looks like a creative outlet, whether that looks like getting on a medication, whether that looks like going to therapy or a, you know, program or, you know, anything that you feel like you need to do for yourself, it's not selfish, it is selfful. And caring for yourself is brave so don't let anyone tell
0: you differently yeah that's a great that's a great message that's a great way to end the show too because it's just so much truth in that word and uh, in your words and especially when you said it's okay not to be okay that was something that i fought for so many years where i'm like no it's not okay not to be okay and when i finally went through the darkest night right the the dark night of my soul which was the darkest point in my life um I realized that it was okay not to be okay and 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 there's um, you know there, there's healing and comfort ahead so uh, thank you so much for being on the show I am going to plan on uh, I'd like to do a follow-up with you in the future and just see how things are going and, and you know your writing and poetry so uh, I will I'll be in touch um, down down the road for sure, because I'd like to have you back on and, and just, you know, see how things are going. But uh, thanks again for being on. And uh, I, I really appreciate you being willing to share.
1: You're so welcome. And thank you so much for the platform to allow me to share a little bit about my come from and for everything that you're doing to put this out into the world. It's a beautiful mission. And I certainly thank appreciate you. it.
0: Well, thank you. So hang tight because I'm going to go ahead and end the stream. But we can uh, we get I, I'm lucky I get to still have a conversation with you. So, <laughs> But all right. So here we go. There you go. There you have it. My conversation with Kelly Invier. I certainly hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I have enjoyed bringing it, bringing it to you. Kelly, you were a great guest and I look forward to having you on the show again in the future. Now, for those of you that have made it this far, first of all, let me say thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It means so much to me. And I want to give you a free gift. Absolutely free, no strings attached. I want to give you three free hours of mentoring with me. I am a life mentor. Some people may call it a life coach, but I like to use the word mentor because I believe we all have the answers within. It's just sometimes a matter of, of of bringing them out, bringing them to light. So right now, if you head on over to my website, www.conqueringeverest.com, scroll down, hit the contact me button, and just let me know that this episode, Kelly's episode sent me, and I will set you up with three free hours of mentorship. Three one-hour sessions me and you absolutely free no strings attached just a gift my way of saying thank you so i hope you'll check out the website i hope i hope you'll take advantage of this offer i mean how many times do you get something for free and this is i when i say free i mean free no strings attached So that's the episode for today. Make sure you stay tuned. Make sure you click that follow button so that you get alerted when the next episode. Uh, is published and then you know what if you'd like to see these conversations if you'd like to see the faces behind the voices head on over to the conquering everest youtube channel and go ahead and subscribe there and hit the notification bell i always post the live streams before they come to the podcast so if you want to get ahead if you want to if if you like video if you like me I lay down at night, and I and I go I go down the YouTube rabbit hole. I always do. I always say, "Nah, put your phone away, go to sleep." Nah, I always go down the YouTube rabbit hole. So, hey, if you're looking for something to watch, go ahead, head on over to Conquering Everest on YouTube. Check out the channel. But until next time, you know, you know what I'm gonna say, right? Aim high, be courageous, and go do amazing things. I believe in you.